0: it's just a quick introduction to this episode Uh, myself and Joachim actually recorded this back in October 2012 and I was going to release it as part of a pack um, which was going to be about contemporary British cinema and that never happened for various reasons and I've decided I know there has been a bit of a break in the shows and I just wanted to get something out so this is going to be a close-up episode on This Is England and since I've recorded this episode Joachim have gone on to form our own podcast The Master Cinema Cast which you can find on iTunes at Master of Cinemacast. You can find us on Blogspot at moccast.blogspot.com and um, it it might become apparent in the episode, I talk about Margaret Thatcher and I talk about her in the present tense and of course she has now died. So that isn't some kind of mistake, it's just because of when the show was recorded. Anyway, hope you enjoy it and this is a close-up on This Is England. The commander of the operation has sent the following message. Be pleased to inform Her Majesty that the white ensign flies alongside the Union Jack in South Georgia. God save the Queen.
1: What happens next? What, yes. it,
0: Thank you very just much. Just rejoice
2: at that news and congratulate our forces and the Marines. Are we going Good to night, gentlemen. Thank you, Mr. Mr. Thank you very much.
0: Rejoice.
1: To those waiting with bated breath for that favourite media catchphrase, the U-turn, I have only one thing to say. You turn if you want to.
2: (laughs) The ladies not for turning.
1: (laughs) But I've got one question to ask you and that's do you consider yourself English or Jamaican? English. Lovely. Love you for that. That's fucking great. A proud man. Learned from him. That's a proud man now. That's what we need, man. That's what this nation has been built on. Proud men. Proud fucking warriors, 2,000 years, this little, tiny fucking island has been raped and pillaged by people who have come here and wanted a piece of it. Two fucking world wars, men have laid down their lives for this. For this, and for what? So we can stick our fucking flag in the ground and say, yeah, this is England, and this is England, and this is England. And for what? For what now? hey what for so we can just open the fucking floodgates and let them all come in and say yeah come on come in get off your ship did you have a safe journey yet? was it hard was it yeah there's a corner
0: my name's tom jennings and this is the 24 frames cast and on today's episode i'm gonna be taking a look at shane meadow's film This is England, and I wanted this year to get some more people on the show so you wouldn't get completely bored of my dulcet tones, and I'm very pleased to announce that joining me from across the North Sea is Joachim Thiessen from the Film Man blog. Joachim, thank you for coming on board today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And just so we can get this out of the way now, um, please do a plug for your show as well and tell the listeners what it's about.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, I run a podcast called The Film Man, Uh, It is uh, available at thefilmman.com where I irregularly look at films that I find very interesting stylistically, thematically and just run a quick analysis through them and uh, try to insert sounds from the film and use music and try to attain a high production value. So that means I won't be putting out shows every week like you do but I try to do once a month basically.
0: Yeah, and I think I can both attest to actually sticking to a schedule is actually impossibly hard sometimes. It does make me wonder when you have like shows like the Criterion Cast, I mean, how those guys actually, the, the sheer achievement that is putting out a show every week I mean, I know there's a lot of people who kind of are quite dismissive of some films like film spotting and stuff like that, but it is, I think, when you sort of have a life going on as well, sometimes podcasting does kind of become rather secondary. I mean, what have have you found
2: sort of quite... You've had quite a lot of good feedback and things like that from listeners. I have, but um, my listener base is still pretty small, but the ones I've got, they have been purely positive. So I'm very pleased about that, but I would like to do more shows, but it's just impossible with, I don't know how they do it now, the Criterion Cast and so on, like, it's impossible to do that much for what time I have, so. Yeah, I mean, do do you work as well? I mean, are you in full-time employment? I'm in school, so I'm studying psychology. Oh, crumbs. Right, so. So, (laughs) it's quite a busy day to do all this and do school and walk the dogs and everything, just mediocre day-to-day stuff
0: no I mean I think I've found since I've been doing this is that I mean I've I've largely on the whole received quite positive feedback from from listeners but I have found at times I've had a few emails from people who sort of they they compare your podcast to other ones which they listen to every week and I do sort of think to myself you know Jesus I do have a life outside of all this and it's quite hard to think sometimes to sort of not send sort of arsey emails back to people when they're kind of chastising you for not sticking to kind of a regular schedule but I think you know we're all children of the Hollywood saloon really and I think uh, you know if you kind of take their lead as it were it was certainly a case of quality over quantity but never mind but getting on with today's episode I think it's kind of of start with just sort of talking a little bit about Shane Meadows I mean what was the first Shane Meadows film that you ever saw and what was your first exposure to him? Uh,
2: I think the first Shane Meadows film I saw was uh, Dead Man's Shoes Mm. Uh, but I didn't it didn't actually grab me that much, so I didn't seek out all those other films. But then after that, I saw This Is England and I really got my eyes up for him. And then I rewatched Dead Man's Shoes and getting the new perspective on it. Mm-hmm. And then I've seen Summer's Town as well. But he's just a really interesting British filmmaker that I don't think a lot of people have heard about. So,
0: Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I remember when it was kind of the early 90s when... Shane Meadows kind of came onto the scene and it was about that time as well where we had the whole kind of, you know, the Lars von Trier and the kind of the whole dogma movement. And it was very much about cinema being kind of stripped down and kind of made. Well, I suppose they were kind of stripping away the artifice, really. And Shane Meadows was one of these who he had kind of uh, sort of plied his trade. Um, making films on kind of VHS and things like that and he'd made a succession of like short films and he was one of those kind of people who were one of the many forced dawns of the British film industry and I remember the British Film Institute were kind of plugging him quite heavily and he managed to get some funding to make a film called Small Time in 1996 which it, it certainly has the kind of the lays the bedrock really of the Shane Meadows style and he followed that up in twenty um, in nineteen ninety seven with twenty four seven, which was a film starring Bob Hoskins, and that was the one that people were going absolutely crazy about. And I mean, you mentioned just before we started recording that you've not actually seen twenty four seven, and it's certainly I think probably up there with This Is England as his best film. It is um, a brilliant performance by Bob Hoskins. I knew a few people who worked on it, and it was you know a micro budget affair. And Bob Hoskins just did it on the power of how good the script was. And I I personally think it's certainly one of his best performances. One of his most underrated films is A Room for Romeo Brass, which was made in 1999. That stars Paddy Constantine as, well, very young. I think it was one of his first films he was involved in. That is an absolutely brilliant little film. And that was also followed up in 2002 by Once Upon a Time in the Midlands. And I think of all the Shane Meadows films, that is the one which is... I think pretty terrible for many respects. I hate the title to begin with. As soon as you start yeah. putting "Once Upon a Time" in things, it's unless it's Leone. I, I really, I just think you're asking for trouble. And it is. It was sort of the big budget one as well. I had kind of like Robert Carlyle in it and people like that. And um, it didn't do very well at the box office, deservedly so. It's a, a pretty horrid film. But Dead Man's Shoes was, I think, kind of really kind of hit home with me. I think that was one of the most brutal revenge films I'd seen in a long time. So, just the central performance by Paddy Constantine really resonated with me, and I found it to be—it's a very uncomfortable film to watch, as is a lot of Shane Meadows's work. I think there is a, an underlying kind of tension that underlies a lot of what he does. I mean, you said you, you weren't so keen on
2: Dead Man's Shoes when you first saw it. What, 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 why was that? What was the? I think the I didn't I didn't quite get the angle that I was playing at. So, uh, this. Um... Uh, should we get into spoiler territory? Or yeah, what? yeah, I think so. I think we're going to have to. Yeah. S- I think we're going to have to, really, aren't we? That's the. Yeah, because uh, and to- Toby Kebbell, who plays Anthony Paddy Constantine's uh, Constantine's uh, brother, yeah. uh, or his late brother in the yeah. film, he gives an absolutely stunning performance. Yeah. But But um, I was, I felt kind of duped when I found out that he was a ghost in the film. Yeah, that is a and big.
0: That is a big. I know a lot of people who have said that. And it it sort of kind of hits them really that it's it's a bit of a twist really. And I mean, I personally, when I saw it, I was, I I know what you mean. I did sort of feel like, oh, we're kind of into this territory. But I mean, carry on as you were saying.
2: Yeah. But, and I don't think the, mm, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I felt kind of cheated at the end. Uh, Even I didn't think it really resolved in a fulfilling fashion. Mm, I mean, I, I,
0: That's probably the ending was the thing I liked about it the most to be honest with you it was because I was films like that when they kind of set themselves up like that it's often where can this really logically go and Mm -hmm. I think one of the reasons I did like this is in I'm sorry Dead Man's Shoes was because I thought if you just saw him kind of strolling off at the end and sort of leaving this town behind I don't think that would have kind of resolved it as well as it could have and I think one of the things that I got about it was just how desperate and I suppose depressing a film Is and I think we can kind of talk about it in sort of more general terms. If If you do watch Shane Meadows' work, there is a sort of a desperation to a lot of them and a lot of the characters. In his films, and it's certainly something we'll see in *This Is England*. But it's when you watch *Dead Man's Shoes* and you kind of, when having now what you have seen all of his films, and I can kind of you know, relate it back to his canon of work, as it were. I think you sort of realise that the ending is a very kind of Shane Meadows ending for that type of a film. I don't think it's a one where you know it couldn't have had a happy ending or a, or a kind of a, a hopeful, positive ending to it. I think it it, it is what it is. And uh, I remember sort of Dead Man's Shoes as well, because I thought that was the film. Because I think, if I suppose one thing we can talk about now really is the sort of the genre of Shea Meadows films is that. I think they are identifiably Shane Meadows films. I don't think they easily fit into kind of any genre classification. And Dead Man's Shoes was the one I thought which was perhaps his most I thought it'd be his most popular film because it has that kind of revenge thing going on it. And I sort of I was concerned after it came out because I thought it was going to be the one where Hollywood would kind of come calling, you know, in the way what's well, the guy that did um things like Doomsday and stuff like that and oh he said I can't remember he's another he no, British director but he just makes very kind of I suppose, generic films in such. And I sort of thought this was the one where that would be the crossover one for Shane Meadows. And it never seemed to really materialise. He sort of went, you know, followed it up, with obviously, with This Is England and Summerstown and the Dunk and Scorsese. I mean, do you think he's the kind of director who could work in somewhere like Hollywood?
2: Or do you think this is his kind of... His, his realm, really, is sort of British cinema? I think he would definitely flourish outside of Hollywood, where he could make his own vision. Mm. and Because... If he went to Hollywood, uh, he wouldn't be allowed to make the kinds of films he does. Now. No, he'd get. He'd, I he, That's it's one of the things which uh, it,
0: it sort of. I think it's a good thing that directors like him don't get picked up. And when I mean, we sort of see what happens with people like John Woo, who go yeah. over to Hollywood and they kind of get signed up, I suppose on the strength of the work that they do in their mm-hmm. own countries, then they go over and you seem to get lost in the sort of the mediocrity. I mean, you know, John Woo's American career is. Ugh, I, I I would. I would say face-off is the only one that I actually cared for, and even saying that I cared for face-off seems a pretty, (laughs) pretty, uh, you know, a bit of a stretch, really, bearing in mind it is fairly terrible for the most. But I think we'll get straight on now, really, and talk about kind of this is England, really. And just to give people a kind of a brief overview of what the film is about, it's set in England in 1983, one year after the Fulton's War has ended and Sean, played by Thomas Turgoose, is a 12-year-old schoolboy bullied in the new town he has moved to with his mum after the death of his father in the conflict. One day whilst walking home, a group of skinheads led by the kindly Woody, played by Joe Gilgan, allows Sean to join the gang. Shaving his head and buying him clothes, he soon finds friendship and eventually love in this small group. All is going well until former friend of Woody and former gang member Combo returns from prison. Combo has joined the National Front and wants the gang to join him as well. Woody and girlfriend Lo have none of it and leave, yet Sean, who is intoxicated by Combo's rhetoric, decides to stick with him. Sean soon becomes a racist thug from the teachings of Combo, attacking a Asian shopkeeper and hurling racist abuse. This all leads to one tragic evening and forces young Sean to reevaluate where his life is going. It's got
1: to be, somewhere. It's got to be smooth. Yeah, right. Make it smooth. That's nice. Make it smooth. That one nice. Oh, Have yeah. Now we've oh, yeah. got a rhythm pissed going. Off? I just want to light me fag. <laughs> For God's sake. Alright, <laughs> Go mate. Well, hey, oh, what's the matter? Nothing. What's with your face ache? You look upset, what's I do? Nothing, it's all people picking on me, taking the myth out of me. Oh, mate,
0: you're breaking me out. Come and sit down for five minutes. Why? Oh, buddy, look
1: at them flers.
2: you See
0: know what I mean? That's <laughs> what, them, what I fucking mean, then. Where's your deal. You can
1: see he's upset. Will you behave with a flirt comment? Bad, bad. Just come on, bad. five minutes. Just come and have a sit down, mate. Come but on.
0: you all just pick on me. Everyone
1: does. Oh, come and sit down, mate. I feel bloody sorry for you. Just come and sit down five minutes. Just give me five minutes to make you feel better. Come on, mate, bloody hell. It can't be that bad, eh? So what's this? Who's picking on you, lad? Some lad at school. What's his name? Harvey. Harvey. <laughs> <laughs> so the bloody girl's name is Harvey. Hello, I'm, I'm Harvey. I've come to give you a I've got one of these for you, sorry Jim.
0: Okay, so what were your first impressions of This Is England after you saw it?
2: I had a pretty emotional reaction to it I cried like a baby the final scene um, it wasn't it was just uh, a visceral punch in the gut basically to see um, because he's portraying a small boy but he's this small boy is caught up in such an adult environment in such a violent environment and it was really powerful powerful film to watch yeah yeah, I mean, sort of when it started, I seem to remember I was
0: watching it with my girlfriend, and at first I sort of thought this is going to be like a comedy, like a sort of a, you know, in the sort of vein of the sort of the kitchen sink films of the 1950s, and it slowly sort of changed over the course of the film, and I think it's something we'll get to in a bit actually, but the tone of the film does change quite a lot over the course of its running time, and. I remember sort of going from thinking about the character of Sean and thinking he was this kind of like cute kid who sort of becomes this sort of rather horrible little racist thug. And going back to it again, I think it's only become slightly more relevant, um, especially with what's going on in England at the moment. There is a sort of a, and again, I'll get to this in slightly more detail, but there is a rise at the moment of sort of, far-right politics going on in the country not to the point where it's sort of challenging the mainstream but certainly there is an undercurrent of racial tension going, something certainly we saw last year when we had the riots in August and I suppose one of the sort of the overriding factors of this film is that it was, well it's made in a time where we have the sort of the Thatcherite Britain, now we're sort of saying before this you're not sort of overly familiar with the sort of the work of Margaret Thatcher are you
2: no, not really. It uh, was before my time. So yeah,
0: I mean, it was. Well, it was kind of. I would have only have been. I suppose this film was set in 1983. I would have been four or something like that. But I mean, Margaret Thatcher is, I suppose, other than Winston Churchill, probably the most infamous politician of this country. And there's a sort of a saying that we're all Thatcher's children. And basically, in the 80s, she was a great suppressor of the, the unions there was a massive amount of civil unrest, especially amongst the the coal miners' strikes. And she was the one really who tried to change Britain into kind of a radical capitalist society. And she was sort of obsessed with reaffirming Britain as a world power. And certainly the Falklands War was an excuse by her really to sort of reassert this, because leading up to the Falklands, we were sort of, the army was being downsized that we weren't really interested in having this empire and it was looking like she was going to lose the election that was coming up and of course the argentines invading gave her this chance to kind of send our boys down there to kick out the argentines out of islands which um to say that the, to say our claim on them is dubious would be um uh, putting it mildly to be brutally honest with you um the the Fulton islands were uh, Well, we stole them off the Argentines and then we kind of acted with horror when they stole them back off us but I think it is certainly one of the central themes of this this film and certainly skinhead culture as well that's another thing as well which I, I don't know how sort of um native to britain it was but i mean i remember sort of skinheads being associated with football violence and the national front which was the racist organization that um, sean eventually joined but i mean I, i remember as a kid in i mean i lived in quite a small village in kent and you would see like occasionally there'd be a skinhead and they might have a tattoo and they were like they had you running for cover just on just by looking at them although obviously you know we had absolutely no Kind of, um, I didn't know anything about them or anything they were doing. It was just the fact that skinheads were something to be feared, and I sort of think that Combo is a warped version of all this. He is something that is kind of has a, this deluded sense of national pride, and I mean, it's when you watch the film. I mean, when Combo comes into it, I mean, is he a character who, in any way, shape, or form, you kind of have any kind of sympathy for? Especially as we find out, sort of perhaps some of his behaviour is motivated by kind of an emotional reaction, or is it? Do you think he's there for us to look at and just think, "Oh my God,
2: what a truly awful person"? I think I definitely have sympathy for Combo because you can you can definitely see that he's a he's a damaged person uh, inside. Um, he is very jealous, he has a fierce sense of loyalty to his own beliefs and he's just very unpredictable, so you're you're always trying to understand it, but he's always keeping you an arm's length, you know. Mm. And the story that he tells at the party in the first scene, it just shows you how incredibly racist he is. So the first impression you get of him is it's very negative, of course. But as the film goes on and you see him with one-on-one scenes with especially Sean, you can see that he's, he's like a big brother or he's like a father figure to him and he's showing his more sensitive side, trying to include Sean and trying to make Sean' self-esteem uh, be raised. And you you can't help but like a character in a certain way that does that to another character that we care about. So it's not like we never... We can't always be uh, afar from the combo character. We always have to relate to him in one way or another. We can't just ultimately hate him if we are exposed to all these different facets of him. We have to... I, th- I don't think you can not sympathise with him. Or oh, Do you agree? Or? Well, I mean, I think the thing about combo is,
0: is that uh, he's. I've, the thing is, I've I've not, I've met well, not people as as radically sort of kind of violent as him, but I have met people who they they can be perfectly nice the one minute, and you can be sat there talking to them about you know kind of football and you know what, what's going on, and then suddenly they get onto the subject of politics, and you suddenly sit there thinking, oh my god, you know mm-hmm. this is. You just sit there a mouth gas. I mean, going back to where I lived in Kent. Kent is really, it's the closest to Europe that we have in England, you know, it's the, the France is only a few miles over the Channel, and one of the problems is that you have, well, not so problems, but all the kind of the immigration comes through Kent, and you, met, you meet people who are like Combo, who are, they're kind of quite respectable, I mean, obviously Combo's not kind of like the, the sort of, you know, uh, working the 9 to 5 type thing, but you meet people who, they seem like perfectly nice people, and they suddenly start talking about immigration, the kind of racist issues, and they speak about people in the most disgusting terms, you know, and it's like, it is this sort of, there's no difference between, you know, immigrants, and they're all, they're either sort of, they're all covered in TB, or they've all, you know, got criminal records, and they're here to take our jobs, and what are we going to do about it, and you suddenly just sit there, and I've been in situations where the atmosphere has just changed, because I sort of don't agree with what they're saying, and I'm sort of thinking, sitting there thinking, shit. You know, this is going to kick off if I do actually say anything. And the thing yeah. about Combo is that it's his kind of view of the world. It's like when he says, "What's the char- character called? Is it Milky?" The yeah, the Milky. Yeah, character. yeah. And he, you know, who's who's obviously of Jamaican descent, and he says to him, "You know, do you consider yourself Jamaican or English?" And in his kind of like narrow view of the world, there is sort of you can't have any kind of multiculturalism. It's like you're either English or you're not. And I suppose the central premise of Combo is what is his version of Englishness? And I think that's one of the 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 paramount themes of the film. Really, it's asking you. It's a this deluded sense of national patriotism. I don't know if you know, but I mean, if you know, it's on the back of his neck. He's got swastika tattooed on the back of his neck, and it's that kind of like the inherent contradiction. In the way he sort of it's all about national pride, yet he has the symbol of a an an organisation, i.e. the Nazi Party, who this country spent six years trying to fight. So it's this total kind of contradiction. And in that respect, I just look at him and I think you are a fairly despicable person. But it's like you said, he's a very typical Shane Meadows character, and he is this sort of surrogate father figure who sort of comes to the aid for Sean. and there's that brilliant scene in the car where he's talking about him saying, you know, if you need someone to cry with, if you just need anyone to talk to, you know, mm. I'll be here for you. And it is a sort of it's a it's a dangerous kind of duality to him because you do think, oh on the one hand, you know, he is looking out for this kid, but on the other hand, you're sort of thinking, well, any he's minute a ne- Yeah, any any minute he's gonna do something utterly terrible. And again, that's a very Shane Meadows sort of directorial trait, is that? you're never quite sure what is going to happen in his films. There's this underlying current of violence that either is going to happen or someone's going to say or do something that's kind of violent intentions everywhere. I mean, it's that brilliant scene, isn't it, in um, This Is England, where he, he's just sat there watching that guy playing Paul. And the guy looks at him and says, you know, uh, what you're looking at? And he just shouts, you, you cunt. And it's like you sort of sat there thinking, "Christ, what's going to happen next?" And combo is like that a lot of the time. And I sort of, when I've when I was watching the film again, I was sat there thinking, like having obviously I know what's going to happen, but it's like when he invites all the gang round to his house and he starts talking about, you know, he's sort of what happened to him in prison. He's talking about kind of Britain being sort of taken over and this kind of stuff and even though i knew what was what was going to happen or not happen i was still half expecting him to sort of batter someone just in a sort of a a kind of a fit of anger and i mean that performance is it didn't get sort of much recognition at all really i mean do you think it's it's because of perhaps we're on sort of of slightly deadly territory with the way in which he behaves or do you think it's just because it's just a small film and no one perhaps saw it
2: I think, well, it's difficult to say really, but his performance is definitely the standout performance of the film. And it it is showing us perhaps sides of ourselves that, or sides of our nation that Mm. we don't really want to recognise. So Mm. it may be political, it may be also, but I, I think that this film was a big success, wasn't it?
0: It was moderately. I mean, it wasn't sort of gangbuster numbers. I think it was something, I think from a budget of about 1.5 million, I think it made about 4 million. So we're not sort of, you know, it, again, it was a, it was an art house. I mean, that's the sort of the sad thing about Shane Meadows' films as well. You know, we're all meant to sort of celebrate British filmmakers, yet you will struggle to see his films in multiplexes in Britain. You, you know, they might be pushed on one screen for one night or something like that, but normally they do show up on the sort of the art house scene. But I think, you know, the thing about Combo is, is that he he is the product of when you try and you know, when you try and stoke up national pride, you do get these kind of people sort of emerging to the service, um, to the surface. Sorry, you know certainly, I suppose going back to the idea of sort of we're all kind of Thatcher's children, that was meant to mean that basically we all live in sort of four bedroom houses, have two cars, and we all have a decent job. And also, you, you also have to sort of look at Combo as being one of Thatcher's children he is this sort of newly invigorated apparently patriotic individuals and if you I mean if you listen to any of Thatcher's speeches from this time she constantly makes reference to reasserting British values or sorry English values at home and abroad and I think there is a sort of an essence as well and I know it's something when we talk to previous about the show you didn't know much about kind of skinhead culture but one of the biggest criticisms of this film was the fact that it did show kind of skinheads especially kind of Woody and the rest of the gang in a quite sympathetic light because there was such a negative connotation with them is that something I mean did you sort of did you have an equivalent of that in Norway is there sort of a a relatively sort of you know comparable or subculture movement like that
2: we did have um, skinheads factions and also, radical communists, but that was that was early in the '90s, and I was only uh, six years old or something yeah. like that. So it never it it stopped in the early '90s, and uh, I never I don't think it ever caught on afterwards. Mm-hmm. But um, of course, in modern days, there are right wing assholes who ruined yeah. the day for us, yeah, and as I mean, we all know. So yeah, I mean, we do have. I don't think there's a sort of national group that are visual anymore in Norway. Yeah, I mean, this is the
0: thing. I mean, one of, my, one of the reasons I was talking about sort of like the, the you new know, combo, people like him sort of existing, the, the National Front sort of merged into this organisation called the British National Party, which sort of tried to, they, they, I think they thought by wearing suits, you would sort of, that meant you're respectable you know that that was their sort of kind of you know, mantra as it were and then recently we've had this organisation called the English Defence League which is mm. as, as hideous as it sounds to be honest with you and these are sort of the guys they sort of you know they parade around as if you know England's under this sort of constant bombardment of multicultural values and that you know if we don't um, sort of stop the rot now you know we won't be allowed to put the St George up in schools and all this kind of utter bollocks and it's sort of combo is, uh, the sad thing is like I said I, I have met, you do meet people like him, they're more prevalent than you sort of come across and I, I think it's one of the, I, I think one of the, the the great things about This Is England and when when I said that, when I went back to it I was amazed how relevant it seems is that there is a sort of a, a casual racism to a lot of people and they, I, I don't think they sort of, they quite know what they're saying as such as being completely wrong but certainly they, they sort of have these views a perfect example is someone like my mother who she comes out of these statistics about the immigrants who, you know, are, are coming into the country and you just sit there and you think, Mum, where do you get this from? You know, she'll say something like, well, 82% of them have got a criminal record and all this type of thing. And I think people like, you know, it's like, where, where's that statistic come from? And she, you know, she won't ever sort of give you any sort of specifics. And I think Combo is one of those people who sort of taps into that fear. And we certainly saw it with the um, the riots last year when, you know, I think I actually put on Facebook rather stupidly that no one in Manchester would riot because it would mean actually having to do something and then about four hours later as I was leaving work there was this torrent of um, the young disenfranchised youth of Manchester heading into town to smash it to bits but one of the things that they found after that was they interviewed a lot of them and they were sort of saying, yeah, why were you rioting? and some of them tried to attach this kind of quasi-political motivation for doing it and there was a guy, I remember he was sort of stood there saying that um, the reason why he was rioting was because He couldn't get a job, and that the immigrants had taken all of his job. And the reporter, who was interviewing him, said, "Well, you know, can you give some examples of this?" And he was unable to do it. And you sort of realise it's just people talking absolute bullshit, basically, because they think it's sort of, you know, the it, it becomes you know you can blame your sort of lack of job or the fact that you don't live a nice house or some things like that. On another group of people when it has absolutely nothing to do with them, and that's the thing about Combo. He tries to sort of recruit them to the cause, and the fact that they are sort of being oppressed by people who really—it's like the, the the Asian shopkeeper. He's just a man trying to sort of you know make his living, and I mean, I think there is that horrendous scene where he goes into the to the to the corner shop with a, a machete, and then he sort of says, "Oh, you know, this is ours." And I mean, it's things like that which I think sort of when you're watching the film, it's so uncomfortable to view it because you're actually sort of cringing almost for the absolute sort of stupidity of it all. And I mean, you sort of made a—we a, were talking about the notes. Of this made a uh, a brilliant observation about kind of the institution of England as being a sort of a punishing
2: agent. I mean, can you get, expand on that a bit? Yeah, because in the. If we go back to the opening montage you can see that there's a soft introduction of of the eighties and then you can see mm. England being at war with Argentine in the in the Falklands and you can see that there's an aggressive state to the country and that permeates the entire film of the official institution of England. Being a punishing agent, really, where they are cracking down on riots at home, and the teachers are punishing Sean and uh, the other schoolboy that got into a fight. There's this constant reminder that England is above its people, and England will punish anyone who goes against it. And you can definitely see how that affects characters like Combo, where they are they are trying to associate the, themselves with England, and therefore they can use punishment as a resort to expel all the unwanted um, unwanted qualities. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things as well about Combo is that I do, it runs a couple of
0: contradictions in him because he's someone who's all about sort of reasserting national pride and yet he, he actually sort of... Um, he, he, he actually offends Sean by saying that his dad died in the War, Fulton's War for nothing. And I was mm. wondering, what, what do you think about that? as sort Because, of, you know, this is this sort of you know, Britain going down to the South Atlantic to sort of, you know, maintain our empire, as it were, which I would have thought would be something that he would be kind of quite up for.
2: Does that not seem a bit of a contradiction to you? It definitely does. Um, I think it's, it's sort of that uh, corner politics where you don't, you're not really sure what you're talking about. Uh, yeah. Everyone has had that kind of conversation, as we mentioned before. Where you're, you're talking to people and they they don't really, they can't really back up their opinions. They only spew them out. So yeah. I think it's definitely a case of that where he, he's just grabbing at different facts that support his actions here and now without thinking about how they, uh, how they are cohesive in a general, general opinion, if you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, because that is the thing, I, I would say, that I, one of the things I really do love about this film is that it does show Combo and his view and sort of the national front for what they are, which is this sort of nonsense political bullshit. There isn't, you know, like I said, there isn't a sort of a cohesive kind of uh, message to it, you know, especially that kind of the, keep, you know, the shopkeeper scene. It's like, you know, well, is it that, that that guy's come in and bought that shop and, you know, it's put some white people out of business? It's not the case at all. It's just a guy who's trying to earn a living who just happens to be Asian, which means that he obviously kind of comes in for all this type of abuse. I mean, there's that really horrible scene as well where they go over to those group of kids playing football. And, you know, Combo's done this big speech, hasn't he, about where, you know, it's, if, you, if you are sort of a minority, it's all right if you live here just as long as you behave like you're British. And then you, you see these kids playing football and then the next thing he's pulling a knife on them, telling them to leave. And I think it's things like that you just think this guy's an absolute, total arsehole. And the sort of the system that he's sort of rebelling against, really. You know, and like I was saying about Margaret Thatcher, you know, really, he should be absolutely in awe of what she's trying to do. You know, it's it, it's a very strange. I think it's that moral sort of wilderness that sometimes these types of characters exist in. So one of the other things you were talking about is the notion of groups and how they pervade the entire film. Can you just expand on that a bit?
2: Yeah, um, it goes back to the, what we were saying at the start of it uh, with the structure of the film where Sean is... is uh, At first he is alone, he doesn't really have any friends and then he meets up with uh, Woody and his gang and he gets into this small uh, group uh, where... He gains a new, he gains family, he gains new brothers and sisters, and he f- gets a place where he feels he can belong. And then uh, Sean, no, sorry, uh, Combo is introduced into this, and the whole group dynamic changes again, where Sean gets to be part of Combo's group, and there's this constantly dynamic change throughout the film where. Sean is constantly being part of new groups um, and that goes over to a more general view of the film where you have England versus Argentina, you have nationals versus foreigners, you have skinheads versus the rest Um, so there's a constant thing of Sean trying to find his identity through looking at the different groups around him and trying to figure out where he fits in in all this
0: yeah, and I think that is it's a really good point because I think group dynamics are certainly such a prevailing theme throughout Shane Meadows' work, and you always have sort of people, you know, stories of individuals kind of coming in and out of groups. I think it's probably a good time to talk about kind of Woody and the rest of those guys because when I was first watching, it, like you said, you sort of see Shaun as this kind of bullied kid. When I first watched it, I remember sort of thinking when he's walking through that underpass when he's going home and he sees Woody and the guys sitting around. I don't know about you, but I was sort of thinking they're going to mock him and take the piss and I wasn't quite sure if Woody was sort of as genuine as he sort of seemed to be. Now, is that something you sort of thought when you were seeing it or what did you sort of thought he was a nice guy straight from the off?
2: I think I got a pretty fair impression of him from the start where I really thought he was a genuine character. But you can also see that um, the group isn't, um, it's not very uh, homogenised, it's very different sort of characters in the group and like a character like Gadget, he's very much like Sean but at an older age and he's the one really being picked on in that group like Sean is being picked on in school so I definitely thought that Woody was a f- genuine nice guy, I did Yeah I mean and it's the, the sort of the, the fact that I think it's quite a
0: pertinent issue which is made In the film is that you have these sort of fringe groups like skinheads. Yet you also I think one of the things what I do like about it is it does sort of show that the sort of the fact that they are you know you have things like goths don't you where you sort of see kids walking around dressed in black and things like that. But you see like a kind of a big group of them and you realise that's the sort of the that's their life. That's what they're kind of comfortable in those surroundings. And it might seem well I don't know not odd, but it might seem. The fact that oh yeah they, they dress differently and they act differently to us but it doesn't mean that they're sort of you know happy to kind of together as it were and when I when I first watched This Is England I was thinking that the sort of the story was going to be just completely set with Sean in this gang kind of getting up to no good I thought I thought it was going to be a lot more sort of a, a in a way kind of a bit more sort of a jaunty kind of happy-go-lucky film but it's Strange when you watch it because, as well, that he has that sort of relationship with um, Michelle, who's called Smell and all that kind of thing, and that sort of provides the film sort of the lighter moments. But the thing that sort of got me was is how that when he sort of gets in with Combo and all that type of thing, the fact that he sort of still has kind of um, dealings with them, they're, they're still kind of quite rich friends did it sort of disappoint you in a way that sort of Woody it sort of disappears, well he doesn't sort of disappear from the film entirely but he's, it seems like it's going to be about him and then he sort of leaves the narrative, is that something that kind of surprised you in any way? Um,
2: I, it felt natural when he disappeared because um, but on the, uh, I, I do get your point that uh, it could, it does feel a bit like he's, he suddenly disappears really because we've seen him become such a big part of his life and such a big part of sean's life um and suddenly when sean is in a really dangerous environment we he just disappears woody and he doesn't really follow up on sean anymore and it did surprise me a little but and at the other hand um we all have friends where we've suddenly just gone yeah. two separate ways and never see them again so
0: yeah yeah i mean that thing. i mean because this is the other thing really about the film is that the tone of it does change so much and you have those kind of those brilliant moments between sean and smell and i think she is a lot older than him isn't it? well not a lot older but she's a good i mean he's apparently 12 in the film and she's i think she must be like sort of 16 and stuff like that hmm. and this is one of the things i talk about sort of how it shifts from being incredibly uncomfortable sort of Dodgy politics to these moments where you know there's that bit where she's out in the garden and they're kissing and stuff like that. Do you think? I suppose I mean I I personally find all that kind of thing. It's how sort of modern life is. It is sort of full of sort of moments of of absurdist humour and then kind of deadly serious. But do you think in any way that those moments sort of detract from the film at all, or do you think it's sort of more in keeping with the sort of the quirky nature of it?
2: I don't think it's the quirky nature, but I think it's putting us in the mentality of Sean, because I don't think he really grasps the political implications of the situation that he's in. He doesn't really grasp the consequences of his own actions, and he's just in it for the sense of belonging and the sense of feeling of a family, you know? Mm. And you see that uh, when they are, uh, when Smell is having a birthday party, and Everyone else, when they arrive, they, the mood of the party it drops like a brick, mm. and you see Sean just, I don't, he seems, uh, I don't know how to say it. he seems, he doesn't really get that the mood has changed because of them, you know. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it, you know it's such a good point because because you know, when, yeah, at the scene and
0: it, like Woody's like right, I'm out of here now and it's like you said he's sort of a, Sean arrives with his kind of birthday cake and things like that mm. and it's certainly when you see him go to when um, combo drags him to that national front meeting you know the um they have absolutely no idea what the guys talking about mm. they don't grasp it at all and it's i certainly think you know, w- when you sort of look at these this film as a sort of a genre piece it's very much a coming of age
2: story oh very much yeah, yeah. and you can see through the uh, just the editing in that political speech scene, you can see that Shane Meadows is is kind of showing us that this is where this is where Sean is going to end up through the just the editing mm. of showing Combo and then showing Sean and then the general picture of the entire gathering and he's, he's pointing the way the possible future way of uh, Sean mm. no certainly and yeah. I think It's,
0: I suppose if you kind of look at this film, sort of being a a child at the kind of a a crossroads. Really, you are given these kind of strands of where he can go out. I mean, the thing is, I mean, you know, say he sort of kind of joins, you know, kind of stayed with Woody and all that kind of thing. Where would he end up then? And you know, staying with Combo, you know, that's going to obviously end in some kind of a disaster. But. What do you think you know, when sort of like I know a lot of people who have said that this film reminds them a lot of things like the 400 blows and I think you mentioned the Kez as well yeah. do you think it's sort of you know, do you think it's sort of derivative in a way of those types of films or do you think it's something a bit more unique
2: it's definitely more unique I think um, just in terms of the 400 blows it's it's just that coming of age story that was almost epitomized with the four hundred blows and all these sixties French coming of age movies, and uh, definitely the final scene on the beach is—it's an homage to the four hundred blows. I would think. Yeah, I mean, what, what I mean, I think we might have a slight difference
0: of opinion on this because what, what what do you think of the the ending of the film? What was your sort of initial reaction
2: to it? Um, before you said that you were a bit two sided with it, I thought it was. A proper ending but I watched it again this morning and I can evidently see that it's it's fitting emotionally but narratively it it lacks a bit uh yeah yeah I mean I
0: was when I first saw it and it obviously when he looks up at the camera and you have that I mean that's it, it's shot for shot almost the end of the 400 blows hmm. and I, I sort of found the symbolism of it Perhaps a little bit too much. You know, when he throws the uh, the, the the St George into the water and it starts to sink, and I, was, I thought, is this a little bit forced? And I know, sort of, one of the sort of the analogies that they use are to sort of emphasise the decline of the British Empire was the fact that it was sort of you know, we used to have like the biggest navy in the world and things like that. And I know it's been used a lot before in films where it's this sort of metaphor of, you know, the the flag sinking beneath the waves as being as this, this you know, that's a, that that effectively, like I said, is a metaphor for how the empire went. But when I was watching it I, I sort of thought to myself, Hmm it didn't it was just a little bit too forced I, I don't know I'm not sure how you know I could offer a better ending or sort of have any suggestions you know other than the ending that we get but I sort of thought it was a little bit perhaps in a film that seems quite subtle and quite um, I get well not so much subtle in terms of political kind of things but combo but in a film that sort of seems sort of very uh, unique in many respects I did find the ending to be a bit lit, tiny little bit jarring. But I mean, the other thing as well about the ending um, is what I know a lot of people because obviously you know, we can spoil territory again. Because you know, what happens to the character of Milky? What, what, because I've, I've a lot of people have said that they think that he actually dies at the end of the film, and I think that might be contradicted by the TV series, which I do own but haven't watched yet. But what was your interpretation of that? Do you think that um, combo does kill him, or is that he's just
2: seriously injured? I think he's seriously injured because they're saying that they need to get him to the hospital and yeah. by that I, th- I reckon that he's alive still. And, but would they, would they really go to a hospital if he's just that badly beaten up? Wouldn't mm. they just uh, leave him and get away? I don't know. Yeah,
0: because that's, that's the other thing as well about that, that sort of moment is when obviously Combo turns on him and you know gives him a, a proper kicking as it were. It's like, because instantly, almost straight afterwards, um, he's sort of wrapped with guilt and I guess it kind of comes back to the sort of the, the notion of the fact that in Shane Meadows films you, cover, you have a lot of characters who are essentially bullies who are sort of slightly sort of pathetic people really, certainly in A Room for Romeo Brass which very similar to this film in some respects and I sort of, when I'm watching Combo, when he does that and he sort of shows regret Do you think that's sort of genuine regret or do you think it's just more of a case of I'm going to get in trouble here, I'm going back to
2: prison type of a thing? I think that Combo is a psychopathic character who doesn't really... He's very torn in his own beliefs and I think that it wasn't any political action when he was kicking Milky, but it was an emotional reaction that he was just letting out all that anger and all that frustration and all that disappointment in his life out on this innocent boy and yeah. i think he realizes that afterwards when he's uh when he's kind of calmed down and whatnot yeah because when i watched the film again a couple of days ago
0: i sort of thought there is that i think it's a realization for sean when he watches him do that and I don't, perhaps on, on a cognitive, he's not, sort of not making it entirely, but he's looking at Combo, and like, like we sort of said, that, that is a possible version of himself. Yeah. You know, that's what he could turn into, and I think it's that sort of moment where he you know, he does realise the, sort of, the errors of his ways. But just talking, just going on the subject of Thomas Turgus, I mean, this performance, I don't know if you, I mean, he was literally, they had an open casting for the film, and they just interviewed loads of kids in that area and he was just the one, if you see his sort of audition tape it is one of the features where he just literally sort of turns up on his bike says a few lines and goes it is, I think it's one of the best performances of the last decade especially when you think, you know, this kid has never acted before and, I mean, do you think it's one of those ones where this is the the case of the sort of the, the because of his lack of training he's able to give such a fine performance
2: I definitely think that it fits him as a person, this character of this innocent boy thrown into this huge political landscape. And he has this sort of innocence in him and this naturalness. And he's just, you can see that even though in one scene we see him Screaming fucking packy bastard to a foreigner's face and in the next scene he's breaking hearts and talking to smell in a bedroom and it's just so It's just so natural to him uh, Coming and It doesn't really bring any baggage into him we just see him as this ordinary kid Yeah yeah, so I mean, that's one of the things
0: I, I really do admire about it is the fact that it does, this film does sort of take you on a ride with this kid because like I said at the start, you sort of will bad sorry for him when he's getting bullied for, for wearing flares. I remember when I was at school, like, it sounds awful now but there was like you know kids, if they if they had any sort of fashion faux pas it would be jumped on by everyone and they'd have the piss taken out of him and I, you sort of really identify with him at the start of the film when they're all sort of giving him shit and you know like taking the mick out of his dad saying they could put his ashes in the ashtray of a car and things like that but then what I do love about it is the fact that like you said you do have that scene where he starts calling the guy a packy bastard and he's like you know just being horribly offensive and it, the film allows you to see these two sides of him but it's it, I think it. What it, you don't so much judge the character, but you sort of judge the people who are sort of making him do that, as opposed mm. to you, know, you don't sort of sit there and think you, it's not like he, he obviously has an accountability by the fact that that's the way he's behaving. But I think it's more of the fact that that's the effect of other people on him on the film. And come the end, you know, you'd feel, you do feel dead sorry for him, like he's a victim of, you know, just circumstance being around i would i'd like to know a bit more about shane meadows because i think one of you do have he he seems to have an obsession with sort of um young people trying to find their way in life and trying to find these kind of father figures i'm sure it must have been something that's quite dear to him because it is a recurring theme okay so going on to sort of shane meadows the director here one of the criticisms Of sort of British cinema that I come across quite a lot, and I I certainly think it's in this case. I mean, I can't stand Mike Lee films, for example. I just can't get into them because when I'm watching them, I'm always sort of think this doesn't it doesn't look like a film. It just looks like something I used to see on television. Do you think there is a sort of a lack of cinematic quality to Shane Meadows' work, or do you think it's just the fact that that's his you know his style is quite sort of I suppose not. It's not it's not particularly flashy, is it? That's one of the things I think perhaps people might say about it who are kind of you know if they just watch hollywood films all day they might watch this and sort of say well it's a bit sort of drab i suppose is that something that you kind of you think about these types of films or do you just sort of see it as a film as a film as it were
2: i think about the style but i definitely do think it's it's very intense and it's very exciting filmmaking this sort of style that meadows has with the Handheld camera and the he's always throwing in these montages and that's part of his style where he's he's just giving us transitions and he explains a lot without doing it through monologues or dialogues like Mike Lee does where he, his characters are explained in the situation or they are the situation comes through the dialogue but with Shane Meadows he he always manages to to build the tension through the music and the set sort of images that he uses and how he edits them
0: yeah i mean because one of the things that i really like about him is i know he doesn't use a lot of improvisation on his films and i you know it's i think characters are given that sort of leeway to go and he seems to sort of follow he he lets the sort of the the, the actors direct him sometimes that's certainly how it feels to me anyway i know it's a lot of the stuff you know, he doesn't use quite long takes as well, and that's what I was talking about before when I was saying that you're never quite sure what's going to happen in a Shane Meadows film because he's, he'll, he'll have these sort of characters, sort of giving like like combo giving these sort of like really kind of impassioned, horrible speeches, and then he'll just leave like a few beats of silence in after they start talking, and you sort of stood there and you find yourself sort of transfixed to the screen, thinking, "Well, what's going to happen next?" Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, certainly in Dead Man's Shoes, I think that's the case, but in Twenty Four Seven as well, that you get this sense that. The camera's sort of just sort of waiting for something to happen, and, and you know sometimes he'll just cut away and leave it and move on to the next scene. Other times, you, you know something will happen, and it's it's very sort of on the edge. I think I mean when you're talking about yeah you, know, you know things like montages as well. This I mean his films aren't they're never sort of two hours plus. They are very very economical hmm. films, and I think that's one of the things where I know some people who have tried to get into sort of Shane Edit's films. And they're just like well if you are just used to watching big budget films, I think you are going to watch these and sort of think well, they, they, they don't have that sort of layer of gloss that you, you might be accustomed to but cause this is one other thing as well I do really enjoy about his work is that he isn't afraid to sort of show the kind of the grimier side of Britain, this is not a picture postcard Britain that you see if you watch like, like a TV series and they're in London they would invariably have a shot of Big Ben or you know, London Bridge or something like that. And this is, I think, it's a more real portrayal of what this country is actually like. It is quite a dowdy country. It's quite drab. A lot of it, you know, especially sort of architecturally wise, anything over the pot it was made in the past thirty years is pretty crap. Do you think, I mean, if were were to sort of say, you know, do you think he actually sort of mimics anyone else, or do you think he is sort of one of those incredibly unique filmmakers that has, you know, because I I, I I, look at Shane Meadows films, they are marketed as a Shane Meadows film, you know, in the same way kind of Quentin Tarantino's films are marketed as a Quentin Tarantino film. Do you think he is, you know, he is quite
2: a unique voice, or do you think there is something quite derivative about his work? I think he's very unique, yeah. I, I can't remember having come across anyone else that. Where I thought that this could be a Shane Meadows' film, or that I see where he's got this, or anything like that. I always feel that in all three of his films, that I can recognise his own voice and how he—he's always very sympathetic to all his characters, and he doesn't really judge them or anything like that. And you can see that, even though maybe his style from Summerstown and this is England is very much a different style, but you can always recognize how he treats his characters and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I I think one of the things as well, which I think he does use a lot of the same actors in his
0: films. And I think certainly when you build those relationships, you probably have a better idea of, you know, what you can get out of people. And I think that's, you know, if you look at his IMDb page or anything like that, you'll see the same names over and over again, Mm. who that he works with. And I think it's, it's, I guess it's a sort of when you when you get comfortable working with certain actors you know what you can get out of them and you can give them that leeway to sort of go the extra mile or you know you, they know to sort of be restrained in some circumstances and stuff like that but I mean this film is actually do you know it's actually written as well by Paddy Constantine he was actually one of the he, uncredited actually but he was one of the guys that did a passover on it and I certainly, I think having have you have you seen um, Tyrannosaur? The I processor? have, yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, what did you make of that? Um, it didn't it didn't grab me uh, as much as the critics? Um, I thought it was a pretty drab picture. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I absolutely hated it. It was, I I was looking so forward to it, but when I, when I sort of found that out about that like, that kind of connection. It did sort of then make me look at some you know, people, especially like people like Combo and stuff like that. You know that, that sense that you know what's he going to do next? Because the uh, Peter Mullen character in Tyrannosaur, mm. you know, he's he's well, one of the reasons why I, I despise that film was because of the fact what he does to that dog in the opening sort of five minutes. And you're never quite sure what was going to kind of happen. And I think they see it, him and sort of Shane Meadows seem to have this obsession with characters who are they, they feel if, if it was a Western, you'd say they were like outlaws. But because it's sort of set in urban Britain, they seem these kind of like these loner type, mm. who sort of drift from, like I say, like they drift from kind of group to group, who are sort of the kings of these little kind of three mile kingdoms, and it was something actually I was when I watched um, this is England again. Is that do you think the film is sort of trying to make a wider statement? about the situation or do you think it is just sort of being quite sort of self-contained because obviously the title this is England does sound something like a statement doesn't it
2: I think it's it's trying to make a statement about the state of the nation yeah uh, about how both as uh, an 80s look at the uh, state of Britain but it also echoes the present so I don't I don't think it's an isolated situation in uh, where where they're based in this is England. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think it is. It,
0: it, it's, it's like a snapshot, really, of the state of I think sort of eighties Britain is what he's trying to sort of make it, and the sort of you know, the choices and the sort of the circumstances available to the characters, especially, um, obviously Sean. But just going on now to the soundtrack as well, because I absolutely love the work that's done here, both the sort of the music and the, the original score. Do you think, I mean, it, it certainly, it's, it's one of the. the the brilliant sort of contradictions of the film is really the, the the soundtrack really is this kind of like, it has so many different styles of music and different artists and things like that, which sort of, you know, uh, contrast really to this sort of negative view of multiculturalism that Combo
2: has. I mean, what did you make of the soundtrack to it? It's wonderful. Uh, Ludovico Ainaudi, he's a pretty famous composer, isn't he? And he's made, yeah. like, yeah, music for Dr. Zhivago and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But you can see that, for example, the scene where... Um, the first scene with combo—that's the first scene where we get Anadi's music, and it's just underscoring the the sadness of that character. But you can also there's also uh, the use of the um, uh, the regular music, uh, the reggae music. It just yeah. it's, it gets us in a certain kind of headspace and it puts us in the right kind of mood for the film in the opening, but also. It's the upbeat character of the uh, the music that contradicts this sadness of Anouard's music as well. Yeah, and I think you know, when I, when I say that the film is is tonally very
0: different, I mean you know, you're laughing one minute and then you sort of you're upset the next minute and you're shocked the next minute. And I think the music, like you said, it it does have those sort of upbeat reggae moments and the more sort of under underplayed piano stuff to it. And I think it's a perfect sort of musical journey throughout the film, but sort of kind of working towards a conclusion now we were you to sort of you know obviously it's a film that we can recommend but i mean in terms of sort of your kind of appreciation of film where does this one kind of rank
2: It ranks it's not one of my top top films but it just it's such a personal i remember my first experience of it you know it it uh it really resonated with me emotionally uh, even though I've seen it a few times afterwards and I can see the faults here and there but it's just, I remember that first experience of it and you can look at it like I know that you can, you could have made this film like a British romper stomper uh, yeah. with a really brutal violence and like the, all these football factories and you can make a version of this in those, uh, in a more violent version you know but it's just this is something different. It's more, it's more sensitive. It's more emotional, and uh, all the more better for it. I think.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Spinach with you. I think we, we have, like I said, we have this glut of foot, the football hooligan film, you know, the football factory in Green Street and all this type of thing. And really, they're they're just nothing more than just actors like Danny Dyer talking in god-awful Cockney accents having fights (laughs) about ridiculous football things and I I completely agree with what you're saying I think this is I think it's it's way more profound and moving than just a very sort of simple story Uh, so more profound and moving than just you know another sort of film about disenfranchised youth and violence I think I don't know whether I'd say it was Shane Meadows' best film. I I, I certainly think it's the, it's the most Shane Meadows of Shane Meadows films. It certainly feels like his whole career has been working towards it. But I think probably, I think probably Dead Man's Shoes is my favourite Shane Meadows film. I would probably go inclined to say that I think 24-7 might be his best, but it doesn't certainly detract from the fact that I think This Is England is one of the most important films to come out of Britain in recent years. I, I think it does transcend... Uh, the normal kind of dross that kind of gets out there and I, th- I think it's a bit of a shame as well that you know we don't especially in England you know, we don't celebrate filmmakers like him as much as we should do they, they should be you know, if you go to the multiplex you shouldn't be able to see Twilight Breaking Dawn or whatever on eight screens and just have something like this stuffed on one which is in one of the, you know, the crappy cinemas it is one of the sort of the, the, the glaring errors with the British film industry that we don't celebrate it as much as we should in, within this country I mean one of the things as well I, I find about Shane Meadows is when you, you talk to people, sort of uh, especially in America and stuff like that, his films don't travel um, that far. I mean, I've not I've not met many people who or come across many people who are kind of that familiar with his work. I mean, if you were to you know point um, people towards this film, would you be sort of like quite comfortable in sort of saying you know that you thought it could um, transcend sort of national boundaries? Do you think it's something that
2: you know foreign audiences would get into? I don't think that will be a problem, now. I think because I've had a couple of mates where I mentioned this film and they've already seen it, so it's played a few times uh, at the local channels here in Norway. Mm-hmm. And uh, I do think that this is the film that can transcend national boundaries, as you say, and it's no problem recognising the basic struggle for just trying to survive the everyday life, you know, yeah i think it's a it, it story i mean although it has a setting obviously in the 80s this is
0: a story which it, it to me as well it seems like a very criterion film um, yeah in many respects it's the type of film because they, there is a um a lot of coming of age tale type works in those films they do sort of seem to um i i suppose it's a it must, it's a trait of that collection isn't it? i mean certainly like the 400 blows and things like that you know they're all in it but no i think it's 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 a shame that it doesn't get sort of more love or certainly Shame Meadows' work doesn't get sort of a wider recognition. I mean we only have to look at sort of, you know, certain Facebook groups to sort of see that it's just you know, the the British the export seems to be Christopher Nolan. And yeah. I think, you know, as much as I like his films, I think if you sort of dig a little bit deeper you will sort of come uh, you know, you will find some more Yeah, now there was, there is a continuation of This Is England, which is, so far we've had two series, um, This Is England 86 and This Is England 88, and I've actually, I do own them, but unfortunately this sort of um, making a short film sort of got in the way of uh, viewing them, but a lot, you know, most of the characters do come back for that. Have you seen any of the TV series at all? I have not, no. No, I mean, would would it be something you'd be interested in seeing? It has got, very positive reviews here as, as I understand and Shane Meadows has directed a few of the episodes so I mean would it be something you'd seek out in the future
2: Um, I don't know uh, I have known about these uh, series for quite some time but I always felt that This Is England was such a contained story that yeah. I don't really feel that tempted to go out and seek out the series now because I, I think from what I've heard anyway they
0: sort of focus on Woody and Lowe more um, hmm than they do uh, the sean character but my, my sort of fear is quite similar actually I, i'm worried that i'll look at this as england as just being the pilot for the tv series that's my you know concern you know, will it diminish the fact that you know, as a standalone film because you know if i it, it's a sort of uneasy thing it goes back to the thing about our saying about sort of um the cinematic quality of it it sort of plays into the hands of people who can levy that criticism against it because they'll sort of say well you know look at this tv series you know stylistically it's exactly the same so i'm a little unsure i, I will get round i've got some more time available to me now, so i will get round to watching them and sort of let you know how how we get on with them but other than that is there anything else you want to kind of want to add to the discussion
2: no i think we covered most of it yeah.
0: yeah i think we've done it in a pretty exhaustive fashion so that will be it for this episode of the 24 Frames Cast. Joachim, many thanks for coming on board today. It was a pleasure. And you can follow me on Twitter at 24 Framescast. You can email me at 24framescast at gmail.com and you can come over to the blog at 24framescast.blogspot.com. Many thanks for listening and I'll be in contact soon.